Hello, everyone. I'm Stephen Strang, and welcome to the Strang Report. Thank you for watching. You know, if you watch my channel and listen to my podcast, you know that my most recent book is called Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, because I know that many people just like you want to have a victorious life, want to be on the top and not the bottom, want to understand what's going on. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is indeed an upside down world. Well, today on the Strang Report, we're going to take a very different look at the book. And it's the look through the eyes of Alan DiDio, who invited me to be on his very successful podcast to talk about the book. I was greatly honored to be on with him. I've done quite a bit of media. And every once in a while, when there's something that I've done that I think that you would like, then I share it with you. And I got permission from Alan to share the video. But let me tell you what you're going to hear, because we talked about a lot of the challenges facing the church. And we one of the first questions he asked me was, what was the, day, uh, the greatest danger of Christians? And you'll be interested in my reply. We talked about past instances of revival and specifically the opposition to the Holy Spirit's work. We talked about the signs of the time and how to recognize the end times. That's kind of his uh, focus, if you know his ministry at all. We also talked about how there's such a hunger for spiritual revival. I believe that you probably feel like that or you wouldn't be watching. And then I encourage Christians not to play down their influence. Now, you know, I know this material fairly well. I mean, I've lived it in a way, but every interview is different. And Alan asked me some good questions, some good leading questions. And we we just talked and I just shared what was in my heart. I remembered uh, that we, uh, he did, it's pretty long. It's a little bit over an hour. We did about an hour and 15 minutes. And I asked him afterwards, I said, why did it go longer? And he wanted to edit some things out. It turned out they didn't edit anything out. They added a lot of graphics. I was very, very impressed with the production. I think that you'll enjoy it. It is a little bit long, but I think that you'll enjoy it. And uh, hopefully you'll learn something. That's the point. It's not because it's my video. It's because you can learn something. And then I will add one more message at the end. So here, unedited, is Alan DiDio's, uh podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Half the world's going to die. That's going to include a whole yeah. lot of Christians. It's going to get bad. A lot of problems that won't go away have a spiritual warfare basis. They think indoctrinating children is cool. The FBI was looking into those parents and calling them domestic terrorists. People stood up and said, no, we're not domestic terrorists. You need to be taking care of the terrorists that are coming across our southern border. You can rebuke the missiles and plead the blood of Jesus and everything else, and you're still going to die if the bomb falls on you. Apart from the word of God, the most accurate prophetic voice is history. Do you think we're on the cusp of, of another great awakening? Do you see that in the church's future? You know, I will admit. Voted by Time Magazine as one of the top 25 most influential evangelical leaders in America, Stephen Strang has a storied history in the body of Christ with more than four decades of investigative, spirit-filled journalism. And he's just come out swinging with a new book about how to live a spirit-filled life. He's not compromising. He refuses to hold back. And today, on Encounter Today, we are so thrilled and honored to have this general of the faith with us. You're not going to want to miss a moment as he walks through the last few decades 
resonates and shares with us the parallels between the struggles of the 60s, the charismatic movement that followed, and what we're seeing today. Plus, you're going to get some insight into what the Lord has to say to His church moving forward into this new season as we head into 2024. If you're believing to live a Spirit-led life, we want to stand in faith with you. What exactly do you need prayer for? Let us know in the comments. One can chase a thousand, but two can put 10,000 to flight. Let's stand in faith together. Place your prayer requests in the comments, and we're going to stand in agreement for your breakthrough. Buckle up. Here he is, Stephen Stray. Stephen Strang, it is so good to have you on Encounter today. Well, thank you. It's a pr privilege to be on with you. I've been looking forward to this. Well, this is one of those really difficult interviews because you have such a unique perspective, decades of experience, kind of a bird's eye view of what's been happening in the body of Christ over that period of time. And I want to talk to you. You've got an amazing new book out, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. We have the link in the description. We'll dive into that here in a moment. But the church has been under attack lately. As we head into 2024, what do you think is the biggest threat to the body of Christ? What should we be watching out for moving forward? I think the number one um, temptation for people in the body of Christ is to compromise. Um, our whole culture wants us to compromise. I mean, to the as much as as becoming woke, so to speak, you know, like mm -hmm. there's some people that if you don't say, oh, I'm talking about secular people who don't even follow God. And there's a there's a, a pressure in the body of Christ to go go along to get along. And I believe that that is much worse than any kind of governmental censorship, um, tech censorship, any of that. In fact, I wrote a book called God and Cancel Culture, and I said that the most dangerous kind of uh, cancel culture is self-cancellation. Wow. And in a same, similar kind of way, the worst thing that can happen to Christians is for Christians to compromise, go along, back off, not be bold, uh, change their theology to fit, you know, with the script that the world's going along with. Yeah, it's, and it's easier than ever now to feel that way, not just politically, but spiritually. I often think that the spiritual conflicts we see are often reflected in the political conflicts we see. And there's been like a militant march of the reform cessationist movement to come against charisma and the moving of the Holy Spirit, not charisma, you in general, but the, the charismatic movement. Um, for those who are kind of called up in the middle of that and kind of feel they don't know what side to be on or they, they're feeling pressure to compromise, what would you what would you say to them? Well, there's several things I could say. Uh, first of all, I've been uh, active in Christian journalism since the 1970s. Wow. I know it's hard for you to believe, but it's true. And, you know, this was long before the Internet it was before Jimmy Carter, et cetera, et cetera. And we had cancel culture back then, but it was the cessationists trying to cancel those who believe in the Holy Spirit. Really? Um, you know, it's a different kind of cessationism. In fact, back in that day, there was a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the denominational churches. You know, it's what we now call the charismatic movement. Mm -hmm. It went by different names. But, I mean, there were... Uh, spirit-filled Methodists, Episcopalians, Lutherans, they would have annual conferences. Uh, it was probably biggest among Roman Catholics. Uh, there were, they would have annual meetings. They, would have, they usually had an office that kind of coordinated everything, newsletters and so forth. 
But back then, uh, some of the denominations really, really, really came against the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, even a few uh, trials for heresy. Hmm. And um, they made it so difficult that either they kicked people out or people or these leaders just became... And it, sometimes it was more than leaders. Sometimes it was whole congregations. They would just leave the denomination. Sometimes they would go across the street to a Pentecostal church where they were welcome. And in the process, those charismatic movements and those denominations are basically gone, gone, mm. totally gone. So the cancel culture of the day kind of got rid of it. And we could go all the way back uh, through history of where there's all, you know, all the way back to the early church. I mean, look at all the problems in the Corinthian church and, you know, some of the other churches that Paul uh, wrote letters to, to try to correct them. Uh, and I, I'm not really a historian, but I'm interested in history, so maybe I'm an amateur historian and I followed mm -hmm. this. So there has always been a tension, always, and it's really a tension between good and evil that's manifested with people and denominations and structures and other things. We're aware of what's happening now, and yes, it does seem worse. I mean, that's why I called it the upside-down world, mm -hmm. and it does seem that we are speeding toward the end of time. There's no question uh, with cryptocurrency, one world government, everyone calling for peace, 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 et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But do you know what? There have been number number of times throughout history in which people said that Jesus was going to come. In fact, there was one fellow that in 1988, and I remember this, um, he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Jesus Was Going to Come in 88. Mm -hmm. And it took... Uh, there were some Christian TV stations I know that raised a lot of money by giving away, you know, playing it up. And, you know, uh, wow. apparently no, nobody told this fellow that Jesus himself said nobody knows the day or the hour. Mm -hmm. And he finally went back into the woodwork as everybody else does. But if you study history in the 1840s, there were Adventists who believed in the coming of Jesus uh, who... Um, actually went up and sat on a mountain because there was a prophet who said Jesus was going to come between one day and another day. Jesus did not come, and that was actually the beginning of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Uh, it wow. was kind of like, you know, hardly anybody remembers that, and now, you know, Seventh-day Adventists are respected by most people. They also had the special doctrine about worshiping on the seventh day, uh, which there are some other groups that do too, whereas, as you know, most Christians mainly worship on Sunday. But, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving that as a little example. If you know anything about World War II, there are all kinds of people that thought that Mussolini was the Antichrist. They yes. never seemed to think it was Hitler. Maybe it was because Mussolini was in Rome. Of course, that came to nothing. And um, someone said one time that the past is never as perfect as we remember, and the future is probably never as scary as we fear. And I think there is some truth to that. Now, we cannot become nonchalant and blasé and say, well, you know, it's the same old, same old. Mm -hmm. In fact, are you old enough to remember the Brenda Lee story or song that was, is that the, all there is to a fire? You know, she no. sings a sad ballad about, uh, you know, there's a fire, and after it's over, is that all there is? And it comes down to, is that all there is to love? And I stood there, shivering in my pajamas, and watched the whole world go up in flames. 
was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? And there are people that treat life that way. It's it's a very melancholy, sad way to look at life. And we can't look at end times. In fact, I think that that the enemy would want uh, to get us off guard. He wants us to to not take these things seriously, seriously and just say, well, this is just more of the same. So I don't mean to talk out of both sides of my mouth. It's just that I think no, that we, we have to keep things in perspective. And the perspective, and I've, in, in the different interviews that I've done on the book, I've mentioned this, that God has a purpose for us being here. None of us decided we wanted to be born and to be alive in 2023. We didn't mm-hmm. pick our parents. We didn't pick the time of history. God did that, and he has a plan and purpose. And all, all we can do, and I hope this doesn't sound like some cliche, but all we can do is to be faithful and obedient to God and to God's word in this period of time and do what we can do. What happens in world events is way beyond what you and I uh, can talk yeah. about. And there are some things that we have no control over. If there's nuclear um, war, for example, you can, you can rebuke the missiles and cl- plead the blood of Jesus and everything else, and you're still going to die if the bomb falls on you. I mean, that's just mm. what happens. And uh, the, the pro- problem that I've seen is sometimes people are so intense, and usually they're sincere people. They're so intense and so weird that it's, it's like the little boy cr- crying wolf. You know, everybody else doesn't want to look weird like that, and they won't even hardly pay any attention to the dangers. So when a real wolf comes, everybody uh, doesn't take it seriously, which in some ways, Alan, is going back to your first question, what is the biggest danger? And I, yeah. and I think not taking it seriously, not seeing the signs of the times. You know, Jesus talked about this. He said that secular people could look at the sky and tell what the weather is going to be tomorrow and Correct. that— the followers of God couldn't even see the the signs, and I think that he was probably talking about the signs of the Messiah coming and so forth, which was, you know, him and his own ministry. But we have to be wise. He said himself that sometimes the the children of darkness were smarter than the children of light, mm. and that is a terrible uh, thing to have to say about Christian people, because if anything— if we study the Word of God, God is very clear in His Word how we should live. If we're led by the Holy Spirit, we have the—and this is something that I play up, or not play up, but emphasize in my book, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, if we're led by the Spirit of God, we ought to be way ahead of, uh, of the others. And really, the way the world is now, people are looking for answers. Just in the last uh, few days, I've had conversations— about how people flock to like Mario Murillo meetings because they're so hungry for reality. And right now, I want to say that Jesus Christ is Lord over America. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. 
Let's give God a shout right now. And some of the revivals that have happened, I was talking to one of the leaders of the revival that happened up in, in Gainesville, Georgia, just last month. Mm -hmm. um, and they were talking about revival tourism. And I'd never heard of such a thing, but apparently people are so hungry to see a genuine move of God that they will tra travel long distances, sometimes to other countries, wow. to experience these revivals. And in the case of the Gainesville revival, this leader was explaining to me that they actually brought it to a close partly because they did not want to have uh, revival meetings night after night after night where all the people were from other states who came in to get blessed, nothing wrong with getting blessed, sure. and the local people couldn't even get in, and so they were having no impact in the local community. And I really felt that when they explained it that way, and I'm not sure exactly how much they said publicly, but I think they would have explained some of it. I thought that showed a lot of, a lot of wisdom. But the point I'm making is people are so hungry, partly because they don't see it. We don't, hmm. we don't have moves of God in most churches, even most yeah. churches that would uh, call themselves spirit-filled or Pentecostal or charismatic. It's just kind of this, you know, usually you feel better when you go, and if you worship and if you're in God's presence and the Word of God is explained, of course you feel better and you enjoy uh, having been to service. But there isn't a real move of God like there is in some of these revival meetings, and people are hungry for that. So my point in bringing this up is that Christians like you and me and those who are watching we need to realize that people want what we have and not be timid and mm -hmm. pull back and think that we're just a, a tiny little minority. We aren't. The body of Christ is, uh, you know, I haven't looked at the statistics later. You know, it seems to me that I can remember when world population passed 3 billion. I was a mm. good deal younger, and I think it's double that now. It keeps going up and up and up. But Christianity is certainly the largest world religion. And even if uh, everyone uh, isn't serving God the way they should, which has always been true, it's still mm -hmm. an awful lot of people that acknowledge the lordship of Jesus and, and try to some extent to live by biblical principles. There's more of us than them. The media and the, the academia and some of the un other institutions like entertainment and so forth, they try to make it seem like they're winning and we're losing, but that's not the case. In fact, that thinking is one of the reasons I wrote the book, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, because I get a sense that a lot of Christians are discouraged and they don't really remember who they are in Christ, and it was my way, using my own experiences and my covering the Christian community over a period of several decades, to remind people what the Word of God says about the power of the Holy Spirit and how we can make a difference in the world today. Yeah, it's it's such an empowering read too, the experiences and the testimonies that you share. But you bring you bring this unique perspective. I believe, apart from the Word of God, the most accurate prophetic voice is history, because history tends to repeat itself. And as you've kind of shared back in the '70s, you kind of had these cessationist witch trials, if you will. And we're seeing the same thing today. From your perspective, do you feel like we're kind of on the cusp? We're seeing these revivals kind of breaking out. Do you think we're on the cusp of, of another great awakening? Do you see that 
in the church's future. I absolutely do. And, you know, I will admit that there is a glass half full or half empty. And I want to always be an optimist and see it as half full. But let's take the charismatic movement, for example. I've had discussions with church historians like Vincent Sinan and others about these kinds of things. Uh, generally, with revivals, you don't really recognize the revival until after it's over. Mm. And looking back, you can see what really happened. And generally, it takes a while for these things to become manifested in a big way. So let's, I'll start with the Pentecostal revival. Pentecostalism came out of the holiness movement, which would have included the Methodist Church and a whole lot of different denominations in the late 1880s. It, from that came the Prohibition Movement, and there were a lot of do's and don'ts. The Nazarenes, a lot of different groups came out of the Holiness Movement. Uh, my own family came out of that movement. And back in that era, there were a lot of people praying to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is a term that you and I would be well aware of, and a lot of the people who are watching and listening. Um, but they didn't know what, what it was. Mm. Um, there, there are some denominations like the Church of God that had like the second work of grace. Charles Wesley talked about, you know, how he had, he was strangely warmed, you know, like mm -hmm. a second time. But the point I'm leading up to is in 1900, in fact, it's kind of interesting. The real turn between centuries is not with the zero year, but with, you know, you start with 01. So like 18, um, 1900 is really the last year of the 1800s, if you can follow that. Now, yes. this happened with the last millennia, with 2000 and 2001, mm -hmm. is commonly thought of differently. But literally, on the night between 1900 and 1901, there were some students in, to in Topeka, Kansas, Topeka, Kansas. Uh, who were praying and they were seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and there was a lady named Agnes Osmond, this is well-documented history, who spoke mm -hmm. in tongues. And these early Pentecostals said, this is it. This is it. This mm -hmm. is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was just really a handful of people and a few little churches, like it went from Topeka, Kansas, down to Houston, which is where William Seymour, who is a, a black preacher, who, because of Jim Crow laws, had to sit... I mean, it's hard for you and me to even imagine this. He wasn't allowed in the classroom. He had to sit in the hallway and listen through the door. I mean, it sounds awful. Yeah. But he was, he was touched by God. He went to Los Angeles, went to a home prayer meeting on Bonnie Bray Street. I've been there. It was just a, an average middle-class home. And there was a prophecy that that prayer meeting would go around the world. Now, you and I have probably been in prayer meetings where somebody will give a, a prophecy of some kind that some, you know, great thing is going to happen, and it's debatable whether or not it did. But, you know, yeah. that prophecy came true. It became the Azusa Street Revival mm -hmm. and, and spread around the world. And it, it was absolutely amazing what happened. A newspaper reporter from Los Angeles came to cover it, to make fun of it, some man stands and talks about how God is going to judge San Francisco, and within 24 hours was the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906. And it was wow. the coverage of that that just made it go 
around the world, and people came from everywhere to experience it and took Pentecost back to wherever they were from. I mean, there are denominations that started that way. There were a couple of denominations that weren't Pentecostal, but the leadership received this experience, and the, uh, the Church of God in Christ is one. The Church of God, now headquartered in Cleveland, Tennessee, is another one. This is a part of their church history. So in a somewhat similar way, and I was kind of giving that as my opinion of the back, back uh, story, the charismatic movement, uh, Vincent Sinan used to say that it was considered that it took place on Easter Sunday in 1960. Um, now, I can remember Easter Sunday in 1960. I was a pretty small boy, but I mean, I can't remember that era. I was not aware of all this that was going on. But Dennis Bennett, who was the rector at uh, the Episcopal Church in Van Nuys, California, got up on Easter Sunday and testified to have having received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Ghost is a reward after many years of faithful Christian living because you can't get too far until you have it. People come and they say, but I'm not worthy to receive the Holy Ghost. Who in the world is? How are you going to be worthy to receive the Holy Ghost when it is the Holy Ghost who makes you worthy? Let's get this idea out of our heads. What is the requisite for receiving the Holy Spirit? Repentance, acceptance of Jesus, trust and faith in him and in his blood. That's the requirement. He was fired the same day. Mm-hmm. It was such a news item that Newsweek magazine actually did a story about it. Now, he moved up to Seattle. He started a church or took over a church. He had a great ministry. I had the privilege of knowing him the last few years of his life. But there are people who say the charismatic movement actually started. Now, that's because it would have been recognized by the press. But really, it was going back all the way to the healing revivals of the uh, late 1940s with Oral Roberts and so forth, Catherine Coleman. Uh, full gospel businessmen uh, was very, very influential. They would have these breakfasts, and they would have speakers who talked about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all kinds of denominational people who would have never lowered themselves to go to a Pentecostal church where people clapped their hands and shouted and acted weird, but they would come to a breakfast at a nice hotel. Hmm. And it full gospel businessmen, which they're— um, is, isn't is big like it used to be, it had an enormous effect. So here you had early days of the charismatic movement going on all in the 50s, and then it really didn't get going until it, it po- was poured out in 1967, in, uh, first in um, Pittsburgh with a prayer group of Catholic students, then it jumped over to Notre Dame, and really took off, and now there are millions of Catholics who testify to having a prayer language. They're the ones that gave us this term, prayer language, before Pentecostals just called it speaking in tongues or some variation of that. And so here you have all this happening in a somewhat similar way, and I said all that to say this. I believe that we're seeing the part in the 50s and early 60s. It won't really be recognized until later. And, um, you know, I don't know, are you old enough to remember that old song, Showers of Blessing? They, you know, they don't sing it much anymore, but the lyric goes, uh, mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we we plead. And I think that a lot of the things we're seeing 
the revival at Asbury, Mario Murillo's meetings, yes. what happened in Gainesville, uh, Georgia recently at Jensen Franklin's church. These are like showers of blessing. And listen, in the middle of a drought, a few raindrops are a blessing. But we, huh. you know, we want it to be poured out like a, a thunderstorm to end the drought. I think that part of it is because things are getting worse and worse and worse. And the worse things get, people are more desperate for God. And um, I think that we've seen this through history. Look how bad things were in the world when Martin Luther came on the scene. Look yeah. how, how bad things were in England. It's hard for us who aren't English to really remember. But England was so bad that Karl Marx, a German, ended up in England. And when he saw how capitalism worked in England and how the working class people were so put down, that's when he wrote the Communist Manifesto. He wrote yeah. it in England. But there are historians who believe that John Wesley and the Methodist movement changed England so much that they avoided having a revolution like the French did, which would have been just a few, a couple of decades before. That England was ripe to have a French revolution in England, and it was the gospel. Yeah. Would today that we have the same thing happen with people yeah. turning to God by the by the tens and hundreds and millions, um, tens and hundreds of thousands and millions. And um, so I, I know this is a very long answer to a very no, short so question, but I'm just trying to give you, um, you know, my take historically on what's happening. And I think that there is reason to believe if you look for it, if you don't look for it, you won't see it. And no, the secular so people don't want to see it. They want to say we, in fact, some of the woke people in terms of uh, things like same-sex marriage and all this kind of stuff, they've actually said, we won, you lost, and, you know, it's like after World War II when the Allies won and the ones that lost, they were just out of power and, you know, their governments and so forth went away and they established new governments. And they're saying, this is a cultural war and you guys lost. I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with it. But if we go along with that thinking mm -hmm. and just kind of turn power over to them, thinking that we're powerless, uh, then in a way they would have won. In fact, in, in any war, if one side just kind of gives up and turns it over to the other side, they win without firing a shot. So my book, in its own way, and I realize a small way in terms of the big picture, is to try to remind people that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to stand against this as the body of Christ, but also to stand against it personally so that we don't have to. I mean, you, you can be full depressed. If you sit and watch the news all the time, you could be depressed. Yeah. I only watch news on an as-needed basis to, to sort of keep up with what's happening with the presidential primaries or, or the uh, war between Israel and Hamas because I don't want to be discouraged. I mean, they do stories all the time about um, uh, drag queen story hour. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a relatively few times that it happens, but they play it up. It makes it seem like it's every day in every library. It's really not. And now at the same time, if Christians uh, wanted to do something like that, they wouldn't do it because the people that run the libraries are mo mostly kind of on the other side, so to speak, and they think this is cool. 
They think indoctrinating children is cool. Well, we don't agree with that, and we need to stand up. And as we stand up, um, it's like it happened in Virginia. <laughs> the, if you follow the governor's race a couple of years ago, it was because of what was happening in the school boards where parents were standing up and complaining about some of these woke things that were happening in the schools. And you know what happened? It shows you how crazy our government, or at least parts of our government is. The FBI was looking into those parents and calling them domestic terrorists, if you that's can true. believe that. Yeah, that's and, right. uh, you know, people stood up and said, no, we're not domestic terrorists. You need to be taking care of the terrorists that are coming across our southern border without even getting stopped, you know, trying to fit in with all the people that are coming here for economic reasons. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff, and I know I'm getting political, and that's not really the purpose of our discussion Don't bother today. us here. But, you know, I mean, even, even some of the candidates that have stood up, dare I mention Donald Trump, you know, if anything, yeah. he's, he's standing up to the bullies, even though he is not exactly an exemplary Christian, so to speak, <laughs> which people criticize him for. But I'm thinking, since when do we expect our presidents to be great Christians? I mean, mm. was Lyndon Johnson? You know, it was well known he did stuff in the White House and John Kennedy. And, you know, I don't want to be too explicit here, but I mean, we've always had leaders that weren't perfect. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to discuss Donald Trump, although I wrote three books about him, uh, because I do think that that um, God raises up um, imperfect leaders. And aren't we glad, Alan, because that means yes. that if he can use imperfect leaders, he can use you and me. Yeah, so important. And wow, when we talk about revival and when we talk about the move of the Holy Spirit, you can see the passion in your eyes. Those of you watching this, are you, are you receiving from this? Let me know in the comments what's, what's jumping out at you. But you can see your love for the history of the moving of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why do you feel that's so urgent? I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the great apologetics of our day, that we need to be sharing it, uh, evangelizing, if you will, the baptism in the Holy Spirit across America and around the world. But you can see that passion in you. Why is that so important for you? Well, I think it's important to be all we can be in Christ. Hmm. And there's a lot of things we need to do. We need to prove our spirituality by acts of kindness. You know, James talked about that. Uh, we need to, uh, in the way that we live and act, uh, the Bible would call them fruit of the Spirit, hmm. but also to stand up against, uh, I'll say satanic attack or spiritual warfare, because the Bible very clearly says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Well, how, if you're a human being, how are you going to stand up to demonic attack? And, you know, sometimes demonic attack is an actual demon. Sometimes it's a generational curse that comes down through your bloodline. You know, a lot of, why is it that so many alcoholics are the children and grandchildren of alcoholics? I mean, you know, that's a whole different discussion. That's true. Uh, and sometimes it's just strongholds that people let happen in their lives where, you know, and I'll tell you one of the biggest ones is offense. In oh, fact, we've wow. all seen most people who have church hurt, and that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. This is as true as PTSD, church hurt. It's because of offenses. And, you know, they 
they expected leaders to be perfect or they expected to something to happen and they don't and then they get offended. And some of those people are the nastiest people you've ever seen. Uh, yeah, and, you know, unless true. you've been through some kind of church split, you don't know what the definition of nastiness is. Well, we need to not be like that. And how can we, how can we not be like that? Well, we can have the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit comes to us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was a kid, it seemed like the old, older folks or the adults were always talking about being filled, and it was like a one-time thing, and then they were praying for years and years to be refilled. Well, the Bible says to keep being filled with the Spirit, yes. and it's something that we can actually pray every day. And, and in, my, in my personal time when I'm alone and quiet and trying to think about the Lord, I will pray, and I will pray in the Spirit. I, I write about this in, in my book. I have a whole chapter on hearing from God and also praying and on how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all those kinds of things. And one of them is that the, the Lord can speak to us, uh, you know, even as we pray in other tongues. I tell a story about Oral Roberts um, that I had the privilege of knowing him the last well, let's see, I would have known him the last two decades of his life, and he took a personal interest in me. I'm, I never understood why, but I think he'd maybe read Charisma magazine, and then when I came along, it was like, oh, this is a nice young man. And hmm. I, I just, uh, he, he was a great man of God, and he would tell this story that when God called him to start a university, uh, I don't even think he heart. Well, I've read his biography. He did have some training, but it certainly was not at a major university. Right. And he bought this land in Tulsa, which in itself was a miracle. And he would go out and walk the farmland and pray. And he told how he would pray in tongues. And he would ask the Holy Spirit to interpret his own prayer language. And in the interpretation, he was getting kind of how shall I say it, not the vision, but kind of the instructions on what to do. And today it's a great university. If you've ever been out there, it's, it just shows when a man has a vision and hmm. uh, can believe God, the great things can happen. So in the book, I tell stories like this to encourage people. I don't write as theology. This book is not written as theology. I am not a theologian. I've never been a theologian. I'll never be a theologian. <laughs> I, you know, all of us as Christians need to have a firm theology based on the Word of God, and there are things that we can learn without being an academician. We just can. I'm a journalist. I'm a layman. And so I write in a way that people can understand, or at least I hope they can understand, and people relate to stories. So one of the gifts of the Spirit is the Word of Wisdom. A lot of people don't really know what that means, but it's where the Holy Spirit reveals something to you that you would never know if the Holy Spirit didn't reveal it. And there was a story about Reinhard Bonnke, the great German evangelist who uh, the last uh, couple decades of his life uh, had his headquarters in Orlando, where I live, and I, I had known him over the years, and I actually went to one of his great crusades in uh, Nigeria in the year 2000, and th there were over a over a million people there, and I had heard about this, and I walked the crowd and saw how they counted and came back a believer that, yes, there were a million people there. It was just wow. incredible. 
But when he moved to Orlando a few years later, I got to know him better. And he grew up in a Christian home, but he had a brother who never followed Christ and who actually was either an atheist or a functioning atheist. And his brother came into a very difficult period in his life. A lot of things went wrong, including a divorce and his health. I tell the story much better in the book. Um, And he was considering taking his own life. And he prayed and he said, Lord, if you're real, have my brother Reinhardt, who is a man of God, have him reach out to me. And at the same time, Reinhardt had a dream that his brother had jumped off a bridge and it concerned him, and he wrote him a letter. This was the di- before the days of the Internet. Of email. And yeah. just urged him to turn his life over to Christ. And the letter came, and it was such an answer. It was a word of – Reinhardt had a word of wisdom. He had no idea what was happening. They lived in different countries and didn't have – they didn't uh, communicate that often. But his brother ended up turning his life over to Christ. And so there are stories like that. I tell a story with prophecy – you know, there's different kinds of uh, prophecy, including, you know, uh, uh, John the Beloved told prophecy in the book of Revelation, of course, what was going to happen. But there's also a prophetic word that that I might give to you or you to me or somebody with a prophetic gift says, I believe that the Lord is leading you to do so-and-so and, and the Lord's going to open these doors. Well, we had that happen with Jonathan Kahn. And I know that you had a very good interview with him not long ago. But Jonathan Kahn had never written a book. He was not very well known outside of Messianic Judaism circles. Uh, I had, even though I had crossed paths with him once, he was not somebody I really knew. But the Lord had given him a book which became The Harbinger. Hmm. And he wrote it, but he didn't know what to do with it. He was, he was praying. He was literally praying and saying, Lord, I've got to make a decision what to do. And so I'm going to use this trip. He was on a plane trip to Dallas, Texas, and I'm going to use this trip to really seek you. Well, the, the, he had to transfer planes in Charlotte. It was horrible weather. He ended up in the waiting area about 2 in the morning. You know, I go into all the details, but there was a man with a prophetic gift. His name is Hubie Sin. We have since become friends. He was my friend at the time, and he had a gift. It was usually an encouraging word, and he would ask the Lord is it, when he traveled, Lord, is there someone you want me to bless with, you know, give him a prophetic word? And the Lord said, yes, I want you to speak to this Jewish-looking man that's sitting with, with his little Bible kind of going like this. He looked all the world like an Orthodox Jew, and Hubie said, no, I do not feel like witnessing to an Orthodox Jew um, because sometimes it can be a very, very awkward situa- you know, conversation. Uh, but the Lord, the Lord would not let him not speak to him, so he spoke up and said to Jonathan, what's the good word? Well, Jonathan looks up and sees this businessman and he is a businessman. He's a CPA. And he just assumed he wasn't saved. And he answered and said, Jesus loves you. And they instantly <laughs> knew that each other were believers. And Hubie said, you know, the Lord has shown me that he has given you a message that will shake the nations. And you're in the valley of decision about which direction to go. And I mean, it was so spot on of what Jonathan was literally praying for. 
He said, oh, we've got to sit together on the airplane, which they did. And he said, now give me that word again. And he's taking a yellow mm -hmm. pad and trying to write it down. Long story short, Hubie said, uh, I don't know a lot about the world of publishing, but I do know Steve Strang. Do you want me to mention something to him? And Jonathan said, you know, if you feel led to do it, that's fine with me. So Jonathan wrote me and said, I met this guy in the airport who says he's written a book. Are you interested? <laughs> well, <laughs> right. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if you were a publisher, what would you say? And I said, I would need to know a whole lot more. But if you're interested, I know that I'm interested. And can I learn more? And Jonathan took that as a sign from the Lord. And, of course, that was, you know, when we found out about the book and talked to him, we could tell it was special. We had no idea that it would sell 2 million copies or wow. that it would spawn all the other books. But, I mean, that was, that was a prophetic word, and I yes. tell that story. I also tell a story about how the same man, Hubie Sin, um, gave a word to David Tyree, who did that catch on the helmet— and he, he was actually David Tyree's CPA. That's how he knew him. And he knew David was a believer. And he said, I believe I have a word for you. Do you mind if I give it to you? And David said, no, please do. And, uh, he's, and he knew that David was a strong Christian and wanted a platform. But he was one of these people on the NFL that nobody ever heard of. Mm -hmm. And he said, the Lord is going to let something happen in the Super Bowl that's going to give you a platform for him. And it was that catch. They say it was the greatest catch in history. So this book is full of these kinds of stories. I could take up all our time just no, telling and, these stories. And, and you're not you're not joking. The the kind of behind the scenes and these stories of these great journals of the faith. The book is full of that, and even excerpts from some of the journals of the faith. Guys, you got to get a copy of this book. This is going to empower you to live a truly supernatural, spirit fed, spirit led life. So let me ask you a little bit more about this, the stories in this book, because. You're considered by many of us to be a general of the faith yourself, but over the decades, you've rubbed shoulders with some of the greats, some of the giants of the, of the 20th century, and one of which the book opens with an excerpt from Jack Hayford, which I thought was powerful reading through that. It was so insightful and so good. You had a personal relationship with him. What was he really like, Jack Hayford? We'll talk about a few of the other folks here in a moment, too, but, and what did that relationship mean to you? Well, Jack Hayford had a wonderful church in Van Nuys, California. In fact, just down the street from the church that uh, St. Mark's Episcopal Church, I mean, literally like six blocks away, wow. you can't drive to Jack's church without going by this little Episcopal church. It was kind of, you just have to ask yourself what the Lord was doing with, you know, two historic ministries. And uh, Jack was a wonderful minister, and he would speak at different conferences He's also a songwriter. You know, he's the one that wrote Majesty. Mm -hmm. And um, we, uh, over time, we found out about his ministry, got to know him, did a cover story in Charisma. He ended up being on the cover three different times, uh, you know, over a period of decades. And um, I had a good relationship with him. We, we were very close, or I was very close to Jamie Buckingham. He was... Uh, in a different era, he was kind of the conscience of the charismatic movement. He tragically died of cancer before he turned 60, and he had been the editor of Ministry Today magazine, and I asked Jack Hayford if he would help us out during this very difficult transition by kind of being sort of the guest editor, and he said yes. It was the beginning of a—so I worked with him much closer 
he ended up being in that position for many years. Later, he started a seminary, which is now the King's University, mm-hmm. and I was very, very involved with that at many levels. So I, he was at my home. I was in his home. We were in the office many times. There are some office procedures that we use here at Charisma Media that I actually learned from Jack. He was just really he was a ma- he was masterful in so many ways, and he was the same in uh, behind the scenes as he was in the pulpit. He was just very very relatable, and um, you know he was a wonderful man of God, but he wasn't without his his own problems. He had a wonderful, wonderful son-in-law that he handed off church on the, on the way to. And his, his son-in-law was 49 years old. He f- had a headache he, during a service, and he said to one of the other men, I, you know, I need to slip out. And he collapsed before he got out of the room and died two days later of a brain aneurysm. I mean, to have a wonderful handoff with a son-in-law who I knew pretty well, to have to live through that. There were other things like that in Jack's life um, that happened, you know, the kinds of things you get to know when you really know people. But he was always consistent, and he he was a worshiper. He had a lot to do with, uh, you know, worship— uh, when I was a kid growing up in a Pentecostal church, we used to have song leaders, and they used to stand and kind of go like this, like they were leading a choir. I mean, that's just, and, and we'd sing, there's power in the blood, and he's all I need, and these great old choruses. And yes, some we would, you know, of course we would enter into worship, but music today is much more worshipful. Yes. Partly because of people like Jack Hayford. And... Um, uh, he wrote about the, he wrote several books on the Holy Spirit. He actually died. Um, he, he was de- declining the last couple of years, so I didn't have much to do with him then. He actually died after the book was finished and before it went to press. And so we did two things. We, we put him on the cover and did a big splash in Charisma magazine. Um, and uh, I also kind of changed some things around. And we actually were able to pull from some materials that we had published. We published several books with Jack Hayford. He, he was very prolific, and he had many publishers over the years, and we used some of it and did include it in the book, and I'm glad that it ministered to you. Oh, such a tremendous, tremendous section of the book. And the book's full of stuff like that that you throw in there. So it's, a, it's an amazing reading. You go through it really fast, but you really feel like you're being equipped when you're reading it. And at Encounter today, we have a great, great honor in the generals of the faith from uh, Lester Summerall to Norville Hayes, J. Edwin Orr, some of these great, great generals of the faith. Who were some, apart from, you mentioned Orr Roberts, who in the book you tell a story about he spoke into your life and told you never um, to diminish the gift that's on your life, never, never to question the gift that's on your life. So many personal stories in there. Who were some of the other generals of the faith that really made a mark on well, your I, life? I'm impressed that you must have read the book to know that little yes. anecdote. Yes. Um, you know, John Osteen, who is Joel's father, and he died probably around 2000. Yeah. I actually knew Joel when he was in college. Really? And, uh, John has several kids, and... Um, I had no idea that Joel would, uh, you know, become a best-selling author as he did, and I, I'm under the impression that he never preached 
until his dad was on his deathbed. That's so what I heard too, because exactly he worked like in they, the television they department. They groomed him. He was in charge of the TV ministry. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think how I got to... John was a Southern Baptist. He received the baptism in the Holy Spirit probably in the 60s. That was a little bit before my time. And he used to talk about how the Southern Baptists gave him the left foot of fellowship. You know, the Bible yeah. talks about the right mm -hmm. hand of fellowship. It was kind of like a joke, meaning that he got kicked out. Uh, he actually had a church called uh, Lakewood Baptist Church, and they just dropped the word Baptist. And um, I visited it several times. Um, they, they had a lot going on, and they used to advertise in Charisma Magazine back in the early days. I can remember going there and visiting. Then they built a great church, uh, kind of, I don't know, a part of north, north part of uh, Houston, I guess. And it was thousands of people. I was even invited to preach there one time, and I'm not a preacher, so I guess I kind of gave my testimony. And John became a mentor to me. He really did. Mm. Um, I would say for about a five-year period, and in that setting, I got to know him much, much better. And as far as I was concerned, he was strong and vibrant. You know, he was up in years. I don't know how old he was, but he would have been probably in his early 70s. And, um, uh, and then something happened, and he passed away, and he turned it over to Joel. And Joel has done great. But in some ways, Joel has just done what his dad did because they used to call lakewood the oasis of love yes and uh we did a story in charisma magazine you can read it and it talked about how it was a, about a third hispanic a third black and a third white well if you go to lakewood now it's a third hispanic a third black and third white they still call it the oasis of love john osteen put billboards all over the city uh, proclaiming the love of the lord and inviting people to lakewood Last time I was in Houston, I saw some Lakewood billboards, and I thought, well, Joel has just taken a page out of his daddy's playbook. And uh, the services are pretty much the same. Now, I hope what I'm saying is not critical. I don't mean to take away from Joel. Jo no. Joel has been... Um, but isn't, isn't that ideal that a father would have a successful ministry? And it was a huge ministry. We would call it... Even today, we would have called it a mega church. Yes. I happened... Uh, they bought the Compact Center, which is where their NBA team played, and I actually flew out there to be there on the first Sunday they were in the Compact Center. Wow. And it's just amazing, you know, the uh, what, what is the Houston, oh, I can't even think of the Houston yeah, uh, game, what they're in uh, mm -hmm. their name right now, but I thought, you know, they filled this up to watch people play basketball, and now they fill it up for the Lord. And it's, it's just a beautiful facility. I have so much love and respect uh, for Joel. Uh, I just was with his sister um, in Dallas, and she and I were reminiscing about some of the stuff, which is actually, uh, and I was telling her how much uh, her, her dad meant to me. I've gotten to know her and some of the other siblings, as I mentioned, but it was it, it, his sister named April, and... Um, he, he's an example. Uh, Lester Summerall, I don't remember how. The very first time I was ever on TV in my whole life uh, was at Lester Summerall Station in South Bend, Indiana, on a cold January day. I remember it. And he, he talked to 
this young guy about a, a magazine he was starting called Charisma that was starting to get some national attention. And um, I, I was actually on his program several times. I went to um, the Philippines. He, he participated in a great crusade with Kenneth Copeland in 1981. I would have just been in my late 20s at that time. And there were two different groups going and I was in one group, unless the sermon was with the other, we changed planes in Tokyo. And I sort of didn't understand that we were in two different groups and two different airlines. I just went with the flow. They came looking for me and said, oh, they're, you know, you're in the wrong place. And they took me. It was, remember that story about Jesus who was um, in Jerusalem? He stayed with the ones that were teaching. That was me and yeah. Lester Summerall. Yeah. He, he could tell more stories. I am a rank amateur in terms of telling stories, and he had seen so many things in his career. He traveled with Smith Wigglesworth, you know, who has yes. now become kind of iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was teaching on deliverance. He built a big ministry in Manila, which he, he helped open the doors for Kenneth Copeland to go. They met with, um, with Ferdinand Marcos, you know, who was, you know, a... I hate to say he was a dictator. We call him a strong man, but I mean, had an, had an audience with him. I didn't get to go to that. It was a great experience. And I used to love to sit and hear him tell stories by the hours. And he was a great man of God. Uh, he had this successful career as a missionary. And when he came back to America, he, was, he would have come back to America, oh, when would it have been? The late 60s, I guess. And he, yeah, was, he was so 50. concerned mm-hmm. about the state of America, that he actually went into Christian broadcasting, which was new new for him, certainly, and believed that he would lead a million people to Christ through Christian television, and I believe that he did. He ended yes. up with several stations. He was a great man of God. And in the, the late 60s, you know, this kind of gets back to what we were talking about before, but um, they had riots at the Democratic National Convention in 1968. We had three high-profile profile assassinations in five years. That was wow. the two Kennedy brothers and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, we haven't had any assassinations since then. We had attempts against Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan both. Um, but that was a very difficult time. The summer of love, uh, whole generation taking LSD and all that kind of stuff. It was a very, very difficult time. Economically, it was difficult. We had Interest rates were 22%. Inflation was like 16 wow. or 17%. We had gas lines. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the time we're in kind of feels like that. But you know what? Out of that era came the Jesus movement. And if you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, I encourage you to watch it because it's, it's, it's wonderful and, and a great witness to what was happening. Very, very well done from a cinematic point of view. But God brought the Jesus movement and also the Catholic cares. Listen, when I was a kid growing up in a Pentecostal denomination, the adults didn't even think Catholics were saved, you know, because Hmm. their doctrine is so different from ours. I believe that many, many, many Catholics are saved. They just talk about it differently. But then there's an awful lot of Catholics that were born Catholic and, and... they go to the church to get married, and they have their funeral there, and that's about the extent of their Catholicism. But you know what? There are Protestants that are about in the same place. That's but exactly my right. My point was that here the Holy Spirit was outpoured on the 
Roman Catholic, and they would have, they would have 50,000 people in a football stadium worshiping Jesus. It was just wonderful. We used to do stories about it all the time in Charisma. You'd get these pictures of these nuns, you know, dancing and the, and the priests and the different ones. And, of course, mostly it was lay people. And it started with the young people. And I think mm. that there is something happening. And yes. I'm just glad to be alive and glad to be in the media. You know, there's a lot of the media that won't cover this. And if they do, it's from a jaundiced point of view. But Charisma yes. Media, we're, we're wanting to cover the move of God. We're, wanting, we're not wanting to exaggerate, and we're not wanting to glorify man. Of course not. And we're not, uh, but we want to tell just the facts that, you know, that's because of my background. I, when I came up through journalism, there was still a, an emphasis on the truth and on facts and things like that. And, and I, I do think that a healthy, honest press provides a real value in society. It seems like the press is very, very jaundiced, and I know this firsthand because uh, without me asking for it in any way, I've had stories in the, uh, on me in the New York Times and with Rolling Stone, and they weren't exactly complimentary. Yeah. Um, the New York Times was probably about as nice as it could be considering who the New York Times is and who I am. And they ba basically, the theme of it was, how could someone who calls himself a journalist be stupid enough to uh, support a New York businessman who ran for president? They just treated yeah. me like I was an idiot for that reason. And, oh, by the way, he, you know, does all this other religious stuff. It was just stupid. It wasn't good journalism <laughs> at all, even though I got to be friends later with the author. Um, but I'm just using that that I've seen up and close and personal. I was in the business, and we don't have time to go there. But I could see the seeds of it back when I was being trained as a journalist in early in my career. And I didn't want to be a part of what I saw developing. It's much, much worse. At least back then, the journalists pretended to be objective. Now there's not even a pretense of being objective. Well, that's why objective. Charisma News, Charisma Magazine is so important. And we're going to provide the links in the description of this video as well for people to connect to get faith-filled news and news that matters to you. And I'm, by the way, I'm so glad you brought up John Osteen, one of my favorite preachers to this day. If you want to lift yourself up, just YouTube John Osteen, John and Jody, Doty. Just a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Their preaching to this day still blesses me. And you know, Doty beat cancer. And yes. I'm not sure when it was, but it had to be the 70s. <laughs> And, uh, you know, some people say they beat cancer, and then the next thing you know, they say it comes back. But she really, really was healed. And her little book on cancer, yes. anybody who's fighting cancer is a real faith builder. Let's put the link for that book in the description, too. I've had that book in my library, and you're exactly right. She, it's she a, walked it's a, it out. It's almost like a booklet. It's yeah. not very big. I've read it several times, and this conversation will remind me to go back and get it. And Yes, I'm going to YouTube John Osteen tonight. I I need I need a good old. It, it just dose lifts your spirit when you watch because you see that fire and that passion. He was such a no compromise minister, but he didn't bring any any angst or cynicism or bitterness. It was just joy and faith, and it was contagious when he would minister. So so thrilling, and it's good to hear that that's that's being continued. And that's what you're kind of advocating in this book. You're, you're, you're teaching people to be able to live a spirit-led life like he lived, like many of these generals of the faith who you cite, who you quote in the book. Who would you say this book is for? 
Who should get this book? I think and every why? Christian should read it. And I know that sounds pretty presumptuous. I agree. But, um, you know, it's just the basics. I just explain what the Word of God says. I talk about, I have a whole chapter on deliverance. You know, people are talking about that now. This is a good yes. way to either remind yourself of things you know, or maybe learn some things, or even to see how things fit together. You know, as a journalist, sometimes we just try to help people get a perspective and see how this fits with that. Uh, I do a lot about the end times. Um, you know, I have never really been into eschatology myself because it's it's all over the board, and I never really wanted to get in debates with people about it. Um, and also, I have a theory about eschatology that when Jesus comes back, it's going to fulfill all the scriptures, but it's going to be different than what people think, because that's what happened when he came the first time. His that's birth true. fulfilled all the scriptures, but was very, very different than what the Jews thought it would be. So because of that, I don't put, I don't put myself out as having a theory. I do think that it's important that we study it. I think it's important that people begin to understand and to realize that something's going to happen. I also sure. come from a background where they taught the rapture, which meant that all these bad things were going to happen, but hey, don't worry about it. We're going to be out of here. And... Um, you know, that may happen. I, I'm not so certain that we can um, live our lives based on that assurance because there's only one scripture that even talks about the rapture. You know, in first, you'd know better Thessalonians than I do because you're an four. expert. Yep. First Thessalonians well, chapter I'm not 4. Well, I'm not an expert. But as a, as a pre-tribber myself, I wholeheartedly agree with you. This whole idea that has been used as an escapist mentality that just, you know, bury our heads in the sand and hope that we just get taken out of here before it gets bad. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to get bad, and you need to be prepared. You need to be ready to be shining lights in the midst of gross darkness. And this book, your insights are very enlightening, even in eschatology, and everybody needs to take a look at it for sure. Well, if you read the book of Revelation, which I recently reread, I admit I don't understand most of it, um, but... The Bible says that you'll be blessed if you read it. And I thought, you know what? I've read it several times. I want to be blessed. I'm going to read it one more time. But it says that like half the world's going to die. That's going to include a whole yeah. lot of Christians. And I'm saying yeah. that we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit just to not recant your faith when they come knocking on your door or whatever they do and try to make us recount, you know, recant. Yes. Uh, we know that when the— They're trying now, by the way. The is Islamic terrorists— um, you know, take hostages and stuff. They often mm -hmm. try to make force them to convert to Islam. Well, this is only a few, t you know, only affects a few people. We don't know what's going to happen. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit even to stand strong. And so what? They kill us. You know what? We're all going to die anyway. Our lives are like a vapor. The Bible says that. Now, yes. we... We'd like to live a few more months or years, of course. I mean, that's, you know, God put it, the will to live within us. But they kill you. So what? You're suddenly in Jesus' presence. You win either way, you know. But I really well, I, believe that we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Stronger than ever. Um, and 
So that's what I hope people get out of the book. And I'm doing everything I can to try to get the word out. I was on Daystar last week and now with you. And um, I just met with a, one of the major denominations last week that have agreed to use it as Bible studies. Each chapter, wow. as you see, yes. is kind of standalone with study questions at the end. Mm-hmm. I taught it um, in my own home. We've had it in a few other churches. And, and there are a lot of churches that talk about the Holy Spirit. They say, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but they don't teach on it much. My book is a way... Uh, to do it, and I've prepared some little videos. They're about eight minutes long, and it introduces each chapter. I did this actually in my own home because I found it was not easy to summarize a whole chapter with the goal of getting discussion started. Yeah. So we everyone agreed to kind of read the chapter ahead of time, and if people will uh, email me. I didn't check with you ahead of time, but if they email me at info sure. at com and ask, we will send them a little playlist. You just email it back. You can watch. You can, you know, they're all there. There are 13 of them. It, this could be a 13-week uh, study in a church, a small group, a Wednesday night. This denomination said some some pastors will likely teach this like on a Wednesday night, and that's my goal. Yes, I'm in the business of publishing. That's how I make my living. But I didn't write this book, you know, just to sell a book. I'm trying to get it out far and wide. And I really appreciate you being uh, allowing me to articulate this because, and listen, mine is not the only book. There's all kinds of books, many, many, many books written on the Holy Spirit. And we need many, many more. This was, this is what I could do. I felt led of the Holy Spirit to do it. I had yes. done several books on Donald Trump, and I just felt that I needed to write one that's really kind of my life story. There's, I tell some of my own stories in there. Mm-hmm. I tell about how receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 11 years old, which really helped me through those difficult teenage years, and how getting turned on radically to Jesus in my late teens, early 20s, uh, actually going through deliverance, in, in the chapter, I talk about how I, um, for me, I just sort of had to know. I just had to know. But you know what? Some things I had battled went away. So uh, even though Praise I didn't God. have a lot of manifestations myself, and I think that, and I, I say this in the book when I talk about deliverance, there are some cr- Christians who say that a Christian can't have a demon and literally probably cannot be demon-possessed. But I'll tell you what, the de- the devil oppress you and tie you up every which way and a lot of problems that won't go away have a spiritual warfare basis yes. and if the you know it was if you remember the story in the old testament where naaman uh had leprosy remember and the prophet told mm-hmm. him to dip in the muddy jordan and he he didn't want to do it and and his servant said, you know what? If he'd asked you to do something really difficult, you would have done it. He asked you to do something that was just kind of like beneath you. Some people, it's like beneath them. They're, they're too proud to admit that they need prayer. But they need a, a it can be a friend or a pastor. Mm. Just someone who mm-hmm. has spiritual authority can pray with you to overcome. You can pray for yourself. Greg Locke, my friend, calls this self-deliverance. And there's a lot of deliverance that you can just take authority over the enemy be quiet in your spirit, be able to focus, pray in tongues, get into a spiritual atmosphere, 
just rebuke the devil. The Bible says rebuke the devil and he will flee from you. That's God's yes. word. And uh, if self-deliverance does not work, you know, it's Get help. a little bit like getting sick. If, if your own little remedies don't work, um, you know, maybe you need to go see a doctor. And uh, I, to me, some of this is just common, applying common sense. And uh, common sense in, in taking what's available to us through, uh, through God's Word, through the teaching we, we get from our pastors and, and other spiritual leaders. You know, for 25 years as a pastor, I get a lot of questions about a lot of things. And the most common answer that I give people to their question, doesn't matter what it is, is be led by the Spirit. That's the answer to a thousand questions, be led by the Spirit. But then the question arises, how? Well, you're going to learn how by reading this book. The link is in the description. It will change your life. Stephen Strang, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program. How can people connect with you other than the links we have in the description? Well, they're probably the best ways. I do have a website called stevestrangbooks.com, and the I've published over 2,000 books, but I've only oh. written a couple in the last couple of years. If they're interested in any of the books I wrote on Donald Trump, they'd be there. And, of course, you can get my book. And if they buy it from my website, which is called which is either there or mycharismashop.com, they get an autograph copy. The easiest way, of course, is probably go to Amazon. I encourage people to do it. Uh, I hope it ministers to them. I'd love to hear from any of your viewers and listeners. Uh, you, the easiest way is to go to info at charismamedia.com. Charisma Media is the name of our company. We write it as mm -hmm. if it's one word, and they pass along the emails. I get quite a few, and I answer each one of them. And I would love to hear from people, especially if something that was said, because you and I just had a conversation. We didn't rehearse yes. this at all. No. And hopefully something that was said ministered to you. Maybe it was even a word that the Holy Spirit used in due season for something that you're going through. Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have access to this General of the Faith email. Let's Write him, share with him how this has blessed you and encouraged you. Get a copy of the book. Let him know you, you saw it through Encounter Today. And uh, be sure to click all the links we have in the description to connect with his ministry, Charisma Magazine, Charisma News. Once again, Stephen Strang, it's truly been an honor. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you. And let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, click the links in the description. Get a hold of this book today and learn how to live a spirit-led life. We'll see you soon. I think Christians are tired of supporting woke companies with their dollars when they take those dollars and support agendas that are antithetical to what we believe as Christians. That's why it's important for the body of Christ to raise up a parallel economy. That's one of the reasons why we've started our own coffee company right here at Encounter Ministries, where you can get some exciting blends like our brand new one. I'm really excited about this one, Azusa Street Mornings, where you can get your morning outpouring, where we give honor to William Seymour and on the back of the coffee bag. There's some facts and information about Azusa Street, about William Seymour, because we want to build your faith. And speaking of faith, we also have the Wigglesworth blend, where it's awakening faith. And these are amazing, actually. They, they taste amazing. They're going to be your favorite coffee, and they make great gifts. With every brew, you become a part of a movement that transcends a morning routine. Together, we're brewing revival, awakening hope, and delivering love one cup at a time. You can select from whole bean or ground many bags as you can for yourself and for your family and support the preaching of the gospel.
Well, thank you for still staying tuned. I hope you enjoyed that. I know it was long. I watched it myself and was very impressed, as I had said earlier, with the production value. I also was interested that the sales in uh, Spirit-Led Living Upside-Down World really spiked after it showed. So that meant that a lot of people want the book. And it's not because it's my book. Listen, I've written books. I've published a lot of books. Is it Does it help you? And I really believe it does. There are things in here that are very practical. I cover everything from the end times to goal setting and uh, temptations and deliverance and all that kind of stuff. I really believe that you'll like it. And some people like signed copies. So if you go to my website, which is mycharismashop.com and buy Spirit-Led Living in Upside-Down World, it will be signed. I personally signed all the copies or Sometimes it's easier to go to Amazon.com, and it's still in a lot of stores. So thank you for watching. Thank you for being a subscriber. Share this with other people. They'll enjoy it. We wanted to go viral, and it's because people like you watch us again and again every Tuesday and Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, live on Rumble and YouTube. And uh, then, of course, it's on the Internet 24-7. So, again, thank you for watching. God bless you.